Good morning. My name is Richard Wexler, and this is Caring in America, the podcast for caregivers and care recipients. So, as I always do on every episode, a little background, who am I and why am I doing this? So, 18, almost 19 years now, go back to the summer of 05, I'm working in the software industry, minding my own business, got married later, two small children at that time, uh, 11 and 7, and we start getting phone calls. Adds up to four phone calls, one from each one of our parents. They are now exceptionally ill. My wife and I, like most couples, had done no planning. We are about to start a journey that will change our lives. That journey went on for 14 years until the last parent passed at 96 in 2019. Led me about 16, 17 years ago to the formation of my company, Points of Life, and educating people about this little word called care. And then last year in the spring, decided to start this podcast so we could reach out to even more people. We have a special guest today. His name is Robert Drake. I'm going to introduce him. He is an interfaith chaplain, a life coach, and a grief counselor who now operates Drake Living and Dying Design on his six-acre farm on Washington's Olympic Peninsula. He was originally trained as a philosopher has a Master of Science degree in philosophy and conflict resolution, and a Master's of Divinity with experience as a hospital, hospice, and palliative care, spiritual care provider, and grief counselor. We will call him Bob today. Bob, are you there? I am, Richard. Good morning. Good morning to you. So tell our audience uh, where you're speaking from. Pleasure to be here and an honor. I am situated right now on, as Richard said, our six-acre farm on the Olympic Peninsula, which is uh, also connected to Puget Sound, which goes all the way from Olympia, Washington, up to Seattle and beyond into Canada. So I am speaking from the kitchen and uh, cat next to me and really glad to be here. Well, welcome. We're, we're going to talk about a tough subject. You know, I, I talk so much about planning before someone gets ill, before someone falls, or a combination of both happen. I think our last episode, I was talking about that again, really trying to get our audience and the people they talk to to understand how important that is. But I kind of have a general question for you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would guess there probably needs to be planning for end of life as well. Uh, am I correct? 
Yes, a really important topic. Unfortunately, most people do not uh, plan. They're not even aware of what's called an advanced directive for advanced care planning. And so what happens, especially with the elderly, is that that planning doesn't happen until it's almost too late, until you're in the emergency room where most people in the end of their life get a good amount of their care, or if it's that from there into the intensive care unit. So what's important is to plan ahead, let people know, your loved ones, your physician, your healthcare uh, providers, what it is you want, what it is you don't want, and it's really important to be very specific. And there are some wonderful tools available to help people do that. Very interesting. And so from what I'm getting, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, I keep talking about planning before there is an illness or a fall. It sounds like this is equally as important because, and folks, I'm being honest. I mean, the last time I checked, at some point, we're all going to to pass. So from what I'm hearing from you, Bob, it is extremely important. It is extremely important, uh, especially if you have a desire to die kind of the way you lived with, with your values respected, with your philosophy, with your um, faith tradition, with, uh, you know, the way you wanted to live your life, that you are allowed to die in that way as well. And, you know, uh, things come up like advancing dementia, early onset dementia. And the important thing is that once we start to lose our capacities for whatever reason, whether it's some uh, quick catastrophic event, a car accident to a stroke or something like that, or if it's something like a, a really debilitating chronic disease or dementia, some type of, uh, neurological disorder. Wow. So uh, yeah, I, I totally understand and totally agree with you. And, and even though it is a tough subject, we need to get ahead of it, which kind of leads me to, and I want you to kind of talk broadly about this, changes you've seen. I mean, it, it, it seems like Maybe I'm wrong, and you can correct me if I am. For years and years and years, the whole idea was you you buy a plot, hopefully in advance, maybe not in advance. When someone dies, there's a funeral. Someone is buried in that plot, and that's what we do. I mean, have you seen, and I know you've been in this business for quite a while, have you seen a lot of changes and different ways to think both about dying and uh, eventually death. Yeah. Um, You know, I think the big change has started uh, civil war when um, embalming um, came into common practice and kind of from that point on, especially with the develop of the development of the funeral industry, um, funeral care, providers really kind of took over uh, dying and uh, rather dictated how, what was going to happen to us, to our bodies, et cetera, after we die. Nowadays, <clears throat> there are home funerals. There's, there's been a strong move towards cremation. Um, you know, the, the amount of uh, chemicals that go into the environment from the embalming procedure, a completely unnatural 
type of event. Um, but cremation also, you know, it's people are doing it a lot more and more and more, um, but there are drawbacks to that. And there are other changes, even to the point of <clears throat> having your funeral at home. You know, there's in in most places in the United States, you don't have to, for instance, move your loved one's body out of the house immediately. You can keep a person. I'm, I actually happen to be trained as a home funeral guide as well. It's just fine to hang on to your loved one for a little while and do ritual and have your family around and allow people to complete. And you can transport your loved one yourself. This all doesn't have to be uh, handled and dictated by the funeral industry. And now there's even a move towards some um, human composting. It's taking um, place more and more, really moving uh, into the industry. So there are lots of options, but the really important thing, Richard, is to start having conversations earlier. Um, we're in, in our culture, we're, we have been so uh, afraid. It's been um, just really hard to have conversations and <clears throat> about what we want at the end of our lives. And, uh, you know, death has been the, the greatest bugaboo, as it were. Um, and so these conversations generally, and of course, this depends on your culture within the larger culture. Um, but these conversations don't happen until it's too late in most cases. So the big move now in emergency rooms and in family practice, et cetera, is to start having advanced care planning early uh, with your loved ones, with your health care providers. Something interesting. I had never really heard about a home funeral. Didn't really know what you've told our audience about, of actually having some sort of ceremony there, being able to keep the individual there. That's, that's extremely interesting. And one thing you're talking about that I've you've kind of said this, and I've seen it on your website, doing some research on you, this, this idea of plan the dying you want. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, for me, I love being out, out of doors. One of the things I love about living on this farm is all the work, all the time I get to spend outside in the elements and um, with the creatures and the eagles and, you know, the bees and everything. And, and the plan dying is to really to plan so that you can die the way you live. I've recently put up a large uh, tent so that people with respect to, for instance, medical aid and dying, another way to plan uh, for dying when you are, if you are terminally ill, if you qualify in, in uh, the States uh, for medical aid and dying, it's another form of planning. Um, what, what do I want my death to be like? Who do I want to be present? What do I want to have happen? When do I not want interventions? Do I want to be put on a ventilator, for instance, if something happens? Do I want cardiopulmonary uh, resuscitation to, you know, and having perhaps having my ribs broken when I'm, you know, during this process and, and then having to live or die rather what in the time that's left to me in a hospital as opposed to at home. If I have dementia <clears throat> and I get to the point where um, I can no longer recognize my loved ones or I can, you know, 
I don't have the the perceived dignity. The people that know me have the dignity that I have the dignity that I wanted my entire life. And I get pneumonia. Do I want antibiotics or do I want the natural progression of dying to take place? So these are things that we need to start thinking about early and having these conversations with so with our loved ones, partly so that our loved ones are not left with the responsibility, the huge responsibility of deciding for me what should happen. So have the conversations early. And again, there are some great uh, resources that I'm happy to recommend when we, if we get to that uh, appropriate spot in this interview. I think Does that, that all makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I think the key there that you just talked about and for a lot of families, yeah, it's hard to have this conversation just like it's hard to have the conversation about planning before an illness or a fall. But what you just said, you're the son, you're the daughter, something's happened. Maybe mom or dad can't communicate anymore and you have to make decisions for them. That has to be extremely difficult and emotional. And obviously having a conversation like this with your older loved ones before something happens as to what they want and all the different aspects that you were talking about, I think, it, well, I know it, it can be, it can make this point in their life and their eventual death a lot easier for those, the family members that are still left. I want to talk to you about Drake living and dying by design and also um, this property that you've bought. Talk more about the property, what you're doing and some of the unique things that are happening there. Uh, Thank you. I I would love to do that. I, I, I wonder though, if I might bring one more point um, relative to what we were just sure. talking about with the advanced care planning. Sure. Something that I have seen over and over again in my work as a hospice and palliative care, uh, spiritual care provider in the family in these times is um, the conflict that can arise. Families are complex systems, complex organisms, and there are very few families that um, everyone everyone is aligned on you know, all things that everyone, all the kids have the same understanding about what mom or pop would want. And it can cause huge conflict if these, these, uh, these wants are not made clear um, ahead of time. So I'll, I'll leave that. Um, so Drake Living and Dying Design, um, it came about, you know, my wife and I bought this, this property a few years ago up here and lots of tall Doug fir, Douglas firs and building a food forest, a really, you know, gardens that were registered as a farm. Um, and so the idea is to have it be a place, a natural place that is conducive to introspection, to thought, to um, reflection, and to healing. So joining Living and Dying Design with uh, my wife's uh, business, Love and Greens, um, the, the farm aspect of it is the idea is to make this wonderful place where people can come to prepare, to think about dying, to uh, in some cases to actually die, for instance, if they are uh, 
using medical, medical aid in dying, if, they're, if that's appropriate for them. And probably more than anything, just um, a place to come and work on their grief uh, afterwards, or in some cases before. Um, or if, you, if someone gets a really terrible diagnosis and they need to process that um, with, with um, support and guidance, we can do that here um, it's, uh, within this really natural setting. So grief work, um, both individual group processes, um, retreat, and uh, that's the idea here. If I can ask, and it may be a very broad question, I mean, where, where did this idea come from? I know all the past work you've done. Is this something that you and your wife had looked to do for a while? Where, where did the idea arise from? Um, the idea arose when we found the property. Um, this is my, my wife does different work than I do. Um, although she's really good at, we work together with business coaching and life coaching, et cetera. But um, it arose really when we discovered this property and I started feeling this property and what could happen here um, for healing for people. And that all, of course, grew out of years of watching people uh, suffer and uh, die or not deal with their grief afterwards. And the thing about grief is that um, it's, it's nonlinear progression. You know, uh, grief can come out of what seemingly feels like nowhere and just hit you like a hammer for an old loss and then can go away again. It's not linear. It comes and goes. But what I have learned over the course of decades in the healthcare field and in, in my work as a, a chaplain is that grief needs to be processed. It isn't, if we don't work with it, it kind of festers. You know, we, we learn to live with it in a way, but it can generate its own problems um, if it's undealt with, unprocessed, unappreciated that are physical, emotional, psychological, et cetera. We can get sick. We can break relationships um, because we have unprocessed grief. So my thesis is, and this is also a book that I'm uh, working on, um, you, have to, you have to grieve to heal, to heal more thoroughly. Um, and active grieving, not just letting it be there, but working with it intentionally. And um, and then and working through it into a healthier place, so that one can really be present for the life that is left to them, and really appreciate the importance of what we have lost. We grieve because we lost something, something valuable. It could be a, a way of life. It could be a job. It could be a child. It could be a parent. It could be a pet. Um, it could be uh, an understanding about the way the world was supposed to be. You know, I'm thinking of PTSD and the, and the trauma that can happen in war or um, with uh, a, a physical assault um, or uh, a miscarriage or an abortion 
Um, there are so many losses that we experience, and for the most part, we don't work with them, partly because um, sometimes it's not accepted to talk about those things in society. You're just supposed to get on with it. And in fact, that's not the way the human organism works if it wants to, needs to be healthy. Does that make sense? It, it does, and I'm really glad you brought up that subject. It's a very difficult subject, and, and I'm going to make a comment. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but my guess is most people don't really understand grief and understand that process and don't understand how this loss, as you just talked about, and there's many ways to have loss, how this may affect them. And again, my guess is some people it's relatively easy and some people it's, uh, it's quite difficult. Yeah. I'm thinking, um, for instance, of someone living with um, a loved one who has dementia. You know, there's, there's a saying that living with um, a loved one with dementia is living with the continuous presence of absence. And I've got one of my oldest, dearest friends, you know, is in this situation and he doesn't recognize me and, and his wife has been really strong, et cetera. But watching her suffering and watching the suffering of so many patients and their families, um, it's, uh, there, there's, it's, it can be just devastating and it really is helpful. And I would say that we, owe it to ourselves to work with these things actively, if, uh, if at all possible, and also if it's authentic to ourselves. Yeah, I mean, to have someone like yourself to talk to and understand, I mean, that example that you gave when someone has severe dementia, Alzheimer's, may not be able to recognize loved ones anymore how difficult that is. And then we know there's different forms of, of dementia and there could be violent outbursts and so on and so forth. That's a very difficult time in someone's life. And it's great knowing that there are folks like you out there, which, which brings me, do you work? I mean, if someone were to call you from other parts of the country, is that workable for you? It absolutely is. Zoom is a wonderful tool. You know, Zoom, especially over the last few years with the uh, pandemic, um, Zoom has been used by palliative care teams, by hospitals, by hospices, um, by psychologists, therapists to work with people at a distance. And it, it really works. So, yes, I can take people here. I can work pe with people in the house, out on the land, or by telephone, or by Zoom. And um, I, I, it's just an amazing tool that we are so lucky, this, this video capability to be in someone's room with them, essentially, um, but at a distance, and still privately. That's excellent. And, and, uh, and a lot of illnesses, they draw out, they take time. And again, and, and knowing most likely that this loved one is headed in this direction, having someone like you to work with and talk to, I have to believe, can make this um, a little easier. I know, and I believe, and the tagline to your business is living gracefully and leaving 
peacefully. And I would think that's something that most of us would, uh, would definitely want. Yeah. What I'd like to do, if I can, Bob, as we get ready to wrap up, can you give out a phone number, give out a website, whatever you'd like to do so people can get in touch? You bet. I'd be delighted to. And I'm also going to give you a couple other resources. Um, <clears throat> so Drake Living and Dying Design, I can be reached at robert at drakeldd.com. The website is drakeldd.com. <clears throat> Phone number is 971-813-4357. So I can be reached. I will get back to you um, if you call or drop me an email. I did want to mention a couple other resources <clears throat> with respect to advanced care planning. There's a book written by um, uh, Barbara Coombs Lee called Finish Strong, Putting Your Priorities First at Life's End. And uh, I also want to recommend the resources available at uh, the nonprofit, national nonprofit organization called Compassion and Choices. So if you go to CompassionAndChoices.org, you will find lots of end-of-life resources to help you understand diagnoses, um, questions you should ask when you go into a physician, advanced care planning tools, even with dementia and state-by-state -state information on end-of-life choices, including um, medical aid and dying. Um, right. So there you go. Thank you, sir. Um, folks, difficult topic. Great information from Bob. Again, this whole idea of planning, also having someone to reach out to like Bob as you're going through this process with um, a loved one. So very, very important information. As I say on every episode, folks, reach out to me. You have a question. You have a comment. You're an expert in the industry. You'd like to be a guest. That email is elder ed2023 at gmail.com. So once again, I want to thank Bob for being here today, providing this great information. And folks, as I always say, until we talk again, have yourself an awesome day.